Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Wednesday morning to each and every one of you. Yes, we are donning the Marymount Lacrosse hoodie for our first segment today. I mean, you can talk about the Reds, you can talk about the Bengals, you can talk about all this other nonsense. Five o'clock today, Clash of the Titans, the last two Division II state champions in Ohio boys lacrosse. Marymount, a rare underdog tonight. Five-time state champion facing the heavily favored top-ranked team in the state, Columbus DeSales. Here we go. Bring your A game. Welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 A to 12 P. Thank you. You can follow us on YouTube, Chatterbox Sports page. And, uh, Paul, you told me a little while ago, I mean, uh, each and every month, our downloads, and you can download in podcast form, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. You're dialed in that uh, we're increasing by 15 20% every month. Sixth straight month in May that we have increased our podcast download numbers, so we're looking good. Analytics. I'm not a big analytics guy, but I am in this regard. Absolutely. We're dialed in. Hey, don't look now, but the red legs are hot. I mean red hot, especially at the plate. During their current four-game win streak, The club has had 10 or more hits and scored eight or more runs in every game. Last night, the power really came from two unlikely sources, right? Jose Barrero came in the game in the fourth inning when T.J. Friedel tweaked a hamstring. He clubs a mammoth grand slam in a five-run seventh. And then there's Will Benson, the former Guardians' number one pick, had two hits all year had not scored a single run not one they sent him back to the minors they bring him back up last night he's in there has three hits scores three runs and everybody had to hold their breath at the end because boston almost pulled it out nine eight the final we talked about ben lively his last start this guy has been fantastic the one-time highly rated Reds prospect went five and two-thirds innings, allowed four hits, no runs, struck out six. He has won games in back-to-back starts, his first wins as a starter in the big leagues since 2017. Game two tonight at Fenway Park. Luke Weaver starts for the Reds. He'll be opposed by James Paxton. Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman will be here to talk about the Red Legs in just a couple of minutes. Diamond Sports Group, you know him as Bally's, has decided not to pay the San Diego Padres their rights fees money. This is a monumental development as the team's broadcast rights revert to Major League Baseball starting tonight. The team's games will be streamed. They'll be supposedly on different cable channels. Now, like the Reds, the Padres have ownership in their local Diamond Sports or Bally Sports and are not a part of one lawsuit, but a separate lawsuit will be heard by a judge today in Houston that does involve the Reds, along with the Rangers, the Guardians, and the Diamondbacks, where Bally's is claiming it should have to uh, get a break 
on the rights fees and not pay what they're contractually obligated to pay because really forces have changed since signing the deal in television. Stay tuned. This is big stuff. Later in the show, speaking of big, an extended interview with baseball super agent Scott Boris. Lots of football news. Bengals receiver Tyler Boyd showed up yesterday at OTAs, said his injury in last year's AFC championship game cost the team a win. Boyd, you may remember, in the first quarter had two catches for 40 yards before suffering a thigh injury on a 24-yard completion. He said he tried everything to halt the pain, but could not get back to full speed. Despite being overshadowed by Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, Boyd ranks fifth in Bengals' career receptions, ninth in receiving yards. He is entering the final year of his contract. Cleveland quarterback Deshaun Watson said he'd love for his current team to make a run at his former teammate, DeAndre Hopkins. You may recall the three-time Pro Bowl wide receiver was released by Arizona last week. Hopkins and Watson had monster seasons together in Houston, especially in 2020 when Hopkins caught 104 passes for over 1,100 yards. Anderson High School alum Andrew Norwell is on his way out of Washington. A report out of D.C. said Norwell will be released once he passes a physical. The one-time Pro Bowl guard with Carolina entered the league as an undrafted free agent out of Ohio State in 2014. FC Cincinnati plays in the Lamar Hunt Open tonight. Oh, yeah. We'll play in New York. The MLS leaders will get back to their real schedule this weekend in a home game against the Chicago Fire. Speaking of fire, always bringing the fire. What are you donning there, uh, Dad? What's that uh, big league pullover you have? You see it, man. They're celebrating tonight's big matchup in Dayton. The Marymount Warriors in the Final Four tonight against St. Francis de Sales of Columbus. Five o'clock start time. We invite anybody who likes lacrosse or has a rooting interest to show up at at. Uh, Chaminade Julian High School, 5 p.m. They start, and uh, it should be a great game. You know, um, I don't know, and I meant to ask the guys here, did you have a chance to watch it all? And, and I, don't, I don't necessarily bring this up uh, because, you know, your grandson, my son, plays lacrosse. Uh, did you watch any of the college Final Four or the national championship game over the weekend? I did not. I watched a couple of games uh, during the regular season, I watch. In fact, I watched Notre Dame and North Carolina play uh, a few weeks ago, and of course, Notre Dame wins the whole thing. Uh, it, it's uh, it's really interesting if you've watched a lot of high school lacrosse uh, to watch some of the better teams in the country play on a collegiate level because it's it's uh, you talk about a fast-paced game as fast as it can be in high school. It's incredible in college. Somebody just told me the other day that there is some, I don't know if it's on Netflix or wherever it is, that there was some documentary done on Wayne Gretzky. And people may not know this, but the national sport of Canada is not hockey. The national sport of Canada is lacrosse. And he was asked in this documentary, yeah, he was asked in this documentary, he said, did you ever play lacrosse? He said, yep, played till I was 15 years old and I could not take it. 
I got the snot beat out of me every single time I took the field, and I said, I'll never play again. He was dead serious. said, we'll never play it again and quit when he was 15. You watch those college guys. That, that's one of the most exciting sporting events that I have seen in a long, long time. The two semifinals went into um, overtime, and then the national championship game was the first ever national championship for Notre Dame. It was just, it, it was unbelievable to watch. All right, anyway, most of the people here want to talk about the Reds. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I certainly um, never saw this kind of offensive production coming from this team. They're not necessarily hitting many home runs, but when it comes to scoring runs, they're ranking in the uh, roughly top 12 in the league. Are you as surprised as I am? I'm stunned, but I think it, it, it points up one thing that, uh, and it may apply to all sports. I don't know enough about the other ones that are, as I do about baseball, but it points up one thing that when you start to draw conclusions based on a group of players, whether they be veterans, whether they be young players, may, whether they be a mix, and you start basing your determination on how that team will fare based on the talent at hand, uh, especially with a young club like this, this is the best example in the world of not being able to determine how fast, if it ever happens, that some young players can come. Uh, and I use the this club as a the Spencer Steer is a great example. Uh, who knew what you knew what this kid was going to do? Nobody knew. They got him in a trade from Minnesota. He's become a solid big time baseball player. And I don't think that what he's showing right now is it's a fluke. I think that he's established himself now. He's comfortable. And you can name a bunch of players, the Fraley kid, the Friedel kid. Um, uh, of course, India is, is, a, is, a, uh, is a, a strong, strong example of leadership on this ball club. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And, and uh, a kid that pitched last night, Ben Lively, and I say this with the most incredible reverence for the late, great Tom Browning, because as he was – Back in the day, the first person, Tom, was to tell me, uh, to alert me to a young man by the name of Johnny Cueto, who I'd never heard of. He was in the lower minor leagues with the Reds. He did the same thing with Ben Lively. Now, for whatever the reason, that it took Lively all this time to become a productive major league pitcher, and maybe the, the sample size is too small to be talking about, but at the same time, I go into watching pitch at Fenway Park last night, five and two-thirds innings of shutout baseball, six strikeouts, two walks, four hits allowed. Uh, he was very impressive. And, and, and this kid, he may be a fluke. It may be an indication of what's still to come. But I, my point is, it's hard to judge a team, and I'm as guilty as anybody. When I looked at this roster coming out of spring training, I said, this club's going to have a hard time. It's not had a hard time, or if it has, it's overcome that with a tremendous game-by-game -game approach uh, that has uh, involved everybody almost. Now, last night, the bullpen was a disaster, almost giving it up in the ninth inning. But this club, fortunately, is in, and I, I say this, uh, and I think the record would bear me out, the worst division in Major League Baseball. Uh, four and a half games separate front-running Milwaukee from last place St. Louis. Pirates are a game back. The Reds are... Uh, three games back, uh, Cubbies four, and the Cardinals are four and a half. 
but that is that behooves them as well as a team like Pittsburgh and maybe the Cubs. I don't know. They look terrible over the weekend. Um, but but what they've done is really exciting. It's a fun team to watch play when they're playing well, and uh, they certainly were impressive last night from an offensive standpoint at Fenway Park. All right, look, you 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 uh, you know you scolded me a little bit. I felt like I was you know 11, 12 years old again uh, when I asked you either last week or the week before about changing your expectations now a little bit based on what you just said. The Brewers are coming to town this weekend. They're the first place team. I don't think anybody in his right mind would have thought the Reds might have a chance to play in the second weekend, first weekend of June against the Brewers with a chance to get in the division lead. So look, they've got all these prospects and we know, you know, that that, that the number of them that are really going to hit it Remains to be seen. But, you know, if you've got 14 or 15 of them down there, I mean, you're not even going to consider the possibility of going out and swinging a deal that could could change the look of your team to contend? Well, no, I don't don't know. That's, you know, if they're going to stick by their guns financially, then that's not going to be – uh, a subject that will come up uh, as you move toward the trade deadline at the end of uh, end of July, and and whether or not you know you're going to invest money uh, in all likelihood on the short term, uh, because you're going to be trading for a player uh, who probably will not be with you after two months or after the end of the season. Uh, I don't know. That's 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 hard to determine. And no. then the determination would have to be, what area are we looking to improve in? Uh, for me, I still maintain that they, they, they do have some pitching problems. I, I don't think that can be denied. Uh, although Hunter Green's performance the other night was brilliant. Uh, I, I still think their, their bullpen is very suspect. Um, and I still am concerned about how strong from a physical perspective, this starting rotation can maintain when you're constantly going to your bullpen in the sixth, fifth, or sixth inning. Um, I, I just don't understand how that works out. But I think the question you ask is certainly one that has to be considered in light of where they are right now on this day. And the fact that, as you say, uh, they've got Milwaukee coming into town uh, for the weekend. Uh, with a chance if they can finish things off uh, tonight and tomorrow in, uh, in Boston before heading home to take on the Brewers. I don't think anybody would have asked that question. I agree with you 100% when this season got underway on that Thursday in late March that uh, come the first weekend and the first week in June, they were battling for first place in the National League Central. All right. Uh, I think it was C. Trent Rosecrans who wrote the article in The Athletic yesterday. We discussed this topic at length, uh, and as I was bouncing around town and doing things yesterday afternoon and last night, it was all over uh, every talk show here in town. Um, C. Trent laid out, would you think about trading India? Uh, You know, a lot of talk about uh, De La Cruz. Drum seems to be, you know, pounding louder and louder and louder to get him up here based on what he's doing at AAA, uh, which, you know, now all of a sudden 
you might consider De La Cruz being your shortstop, moving McLean over to second base. You know, what would you do at third? Blah, blah, blah. Would you consider trading India? Yes. Yes, I would consider that. Um, you know, they, they're going to have real problems, and they, these are good problems. These are problems you always talk about. You'd rather have this type of problem than have the other kind of problem. Uh, because you can also, if you're going to talk about that, you also have to consider what the hell's going to happen to Spencer Steer when Joey Votto, if he ever comes back. I mean, this kid's been one of those offensive leaders on this club. What are you going to do then? If Votto comes back whenever that might be, and they're naturally going to put him at first base, they're not going to not put him there. Uh, but but this De La Cruz thing, and and I really truly believe, Tom, and, and of course they would deny this, but I believe that he's staying in, 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 in Louisville right now because they don't know what to do up here with him. If they, if they had a spot that was clearly evident, he'd be up here today and he'd be installed just like Matt McLean was. Um, they have a numbers problem, and it's a good numbers problem, but it's a problem nevertheless. And it's also, it's a problem that can affect the chemistry of this club. And the chemistry appears to be incredibly good. All these guys uh, are pulling together as one. And, and I think, it, for me, chemistry has always been more important in baseball than it is any other sport by virtue of the number of games that you play. Uh, so I, they've got hard decisions to make. Uh, they've got to figure out, uh, and I've noticed today, David Bell said that uh, Jonathan India is working incredibly hard to become a better second baseman, and I believe that he probably is. Mm -hmm. I think he certainly played better second base lately than he did leading up to the last, I don't know, 10 days, two weeks, whatever the case might be. And I think that the fact that he's working diligently on a daily basis to improve himself on a defensive standpoint uh, enhances his situation. But I would certainly have to consider at the end of the day, that question has to be asked, and I'm sure it's being determined and discussed uh, in the upper echelons of this organization from a baseball perspective. What the heck are we going to do here? Yeah, I mean, I just find this whole thing fascinating because, you know, then you have a guy like Senzel. Now, I made the comment on the show here yesterday. You know, look, everybody has the back of a bubblegum card, okay? And his will tell you uh, that he has been unavailable to play to no fault of his own more times than not uh, with, you know, injury after injury after in serious injuries. He had, you know, surgery during the offseason. But all of a sudden, he's playing well. Everybody feels like he's your best player at third base. I've heard Jeff Brantley say this over and over and over again. He's the best defensive third baseman on the team. And offensively, he's doing some nice things. But, I mean, he, I said it yesterday. I, I would be shocked if, if the Reds looked at him as being a part of the future. Do you agree with that or not? 100%. I, you know, you can say all the nice things you want to say, and, and I don't disagree with that. But he's a number one pick by the Reds, and he's a guy batting about 250. Uh, now, I'm sure, you know, the, the analytic people will say, well, you, you, we don't care about the batting average. Uh, but at the same time, I think when you're looking at all the talent they have on this club, it would I'd be hard-pressed to think of, of Nick Senzel as being a hard and, and solid 
piece of the future of this ball club. Uh, the injury thing is very unfortunate. And, and also, I think, and I think I stated this on the show, I think part of Nick Senzel's problem when he's been healthy is that he's bounced around everywhere imaginable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they play him at, I mean, almost every position you can think of. And I don't know that that's helped him a whole lot in his ability to become a mature producing baseball player at the big league level. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think in his case it's helped him a whole lot. But as far as the future is concerned, I, I'd be surprised if, if he's uh, seriously considered as part of this club in that regard. You and I talk about this stuff and have for years all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been on the Reds pretty hard about not having India take fly balls in the outfield during spring training. They knew this whole Absolutely. thing. They, they knew it was coming. In their best-case yes. scenario, they knew this was coming, including Marte at double-A. Because once De La Cruz comes up to the big leagues, Marte is going to go to triple-A from double-A. So th- they know all this is coming with a bunch of infield guys. So they didn't do it. All right, now here's my other question. One thing I'll give him credit for, and I'm not just saying this because he hit a grand slam last night. I think a lot of people around here are throwing in the towel too early on Barrero. This kid's a physical specimen. He has proven to you that he's willing to go play wherever you ask him to go. He's gone out in center field. He made a hell of a play last night in center to cut down a runner at the plate, play the ball off the monster, perfect cutoff, throw to short, throw a guy out at the plate, huge play in the game. Um, You know, I I look at two guys, let's just pick two guys, him and Friedel. Now, Friedel has played better than Barrero. There's no doubt about that. But here we are again with Friedel just coming off the injured list, and now he's hurt again. Um, I would like to see an extended look in center field Barrero before I throw in the towel on that. You buying that? Not really. No? Okay. I think I think this club is the number one club in baseball to hang in on guys long, long, long after they prove. I mean, so he hit a grand slam home run last night. Now, you know who else you're talking about when you talk about that stuff? You're talking about Akides or Aquino. Well, 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 well. Same I, thing. Okay, but Great wait a minute. Now. I mean, you're talking about Barrero. He has only had around 400 at-bats. And, and, and the first year when he got a lot of them, the kid didn't belong in the big leagues yet. I mean, he was 20 years old. And, you know, it was only two summers ago in 2021 when this guy put together a monster year at the minor league level offensively, as good as anything that anybody who's up here right now has ever done in a minor league season. And now in 2023, you're running him out of town? Well, I don't – Tom, I, I think that, you, you again, I'm going to go back to Aquino. He had the best arm in this league. He was a good right fielder. He had one incredible month. And he hit a home run every six weeks after that, Right, it seemed. Uh, everybody's getting all excited about the Grand Slam last night. And I will be the first to admit that ball left the bat and got out of the at Fenway Park and hit that light standard faster than anything I've ever seen in my life. And I agreed with what Chris Wells said the ball would have been in the street had it not hit the light standard. At the same time, he's batting about 245 or 250. Um, I know about the defense, and I think the kid has the physical attributes to probably play out there. He's got a good arm. 
Uh, he can never go back into the infield. He was a terrible shortstop. Um, I, I just think he's going to get caught in a number situation. Uh, I, they will probably continue to play him in center field uh, because there is nowhere else for him to play right. at the moment. Now, when De La Cruz comes up here, I don't know how that's going to impact Barrero, but uh, I, I would give Barrero till the end of the year and if he doesn't show me anything more than what I've seen from him from a big picture standpoint, I I I I figure out some way to let him go somewhere else next year. Well, you know the thing is, is that if it, it, unless they're willing to, you know, approach India to move to the outfield or, or whoever, whatever they want to do, Daylight Cruz, they could go to and say, hey, well, you know, the outfield, they could. Right? any of these guys, yeah. right, that are good enough athletes yeah. to do it, but. The one area where they don't have a lot of big-time prospects, at least at the higher levels that are going to be an impact on this club in the next year or two, is in the outfield. So, you know, you, you've got Fraley, you know, and you've given him a chance. He's done a nice job. you got Friedel, who's a little older. Took him a while to get up here. They don't yeah. have regular guys out there in the outfield. So, you know, maybe, um, maybe – Barrero can show enough where they start looking around at the rest of the guys in that outfield and they say, well, he's young, he's cheap, he's talented, and who knows? Maybe we stay with him and give him a flyer and forget about him, as you pointed out, ever going back to the infield. Well, that, that, that's, that's a scenario that could play itself out uh, as long as they realize they've got too many talented people ahead of him in the infield, Matt McClain has come up, and I mean has immediately calmed things down from a defensive standpoint at shortstop. He's played that position. He's played extremely well, and we all know what he's done offensively. Uh, here's a kid obviously ready to play in the big leagues, and they brought him up at the right time. Uh, and then you've got Envia, and you gotta, you got to decide about him before you decide about Barrera or anybody else. And you've got Steer, who's at first base but also plays at third. Um, you've got Marte, who's, as you said, going to be moved probably AAA when they bring De La Cruz up here. Uh, and, the, and the list goes on and on and on. You're right. They do not have three people that they can say, well, so-and-so is going to be in left, so-and-so center, so-and-so right. Daily deal. Uh, they move people around all the time. But I think David Bell loves to do that anyway. I think if you took that away from David Bell, he'd be the most depressed person on earth. He loves to shuffle lineups and play people in different positions and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you may be right about Barrero. He, they may decide, yeah, look, this kid has shown us enough defensively in center field, uh, and his baseball instincts appear to be very good. Uh, we're going to stick with him longer than we will with anybody else and, and then decide what they're going to do with the corner outfield positions. That could work in Barrero's favor. I think that's the one thing that would work in his favor. Uh, shifting gears just to the baseball uh, business side of baseball, I mentioned in the monologue about how Bally Sports, Diamond Sports technically, under the umbrella of Sinclair, the parent company, uh, came out point blank yesterday. And, I mean, they didn't yep. mince any words at all. A, we're not paying our rights fee. B, um, we're losing money on this deal. When that contract was signed, the landscape, as they describe it, was very, very different in television and the way people watch and how they watch than it is now. Uh, it, we're losing money. We're not going to do it. Um, start with that. I, I, I've been saying on this show, Dad, for 
for four months during the offseason that this was going to be the single biggest story in sports before this calendar year is over. Uh, not only for baseball, but basketball, the NBA, so on and so forth. Do you think this is the first step of many where this is going to happen? I do. I do. Uh, this is the first domino that's going to fall, and then we'll find out when the dust finally settles. And I really believe that the dust will settle fairly quickly. When I say fairly quickly, <clears throat> I believe that by opening day in 2024, this whole thing will have been determined. I don't think it's going to be a long work in progress um, because for a lot of reasons, for the, most of which is the fact that there's too much money involved. Uh, and I think Major League Baseball has already gone on record and said, hey, you know, we'll jump in in an emergency as they are now doing, uh, I guess, beginning tonight with the Padres right. uh, to handling, uh, you know, the TV situation in light of the fact that, that Diamond Sports has bailed completely. But they're not going to do that forever. That's not going to happen uh, forever unless they can figure out a way where they can make a whole ton of money, which they probably can from a streaming perspective. Um, what I don't understand is, is how Diamond Sports or Valley or whoever you want to call them can go into court and say, we should not be held accountable for that contract that we agreed to, to pay these teams X number of dollars on an individual basis a year because it's not worth that anymore. A contract's a damn contract. And I think a court of law would hold that up and say, hey, you signed this paper. You nobody put a gun to your head. You got to pay. Well, they're going bankrupt, so that takes care of that. But I think the contract situation is something that, that makes me scratch my head and wonder what's the sense in even putting your name on a contract to begin with when it comes to situations such as this. Yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, my eyes go cross-eyed when, when, when I'm sitting there trying to read this stuff and figure it out. And, you know, Bally's, uh, you know, they're saying, hey, we thought we had an agreement as part of this. That one day we were going to be able to stream, but Major League blackout rules are preventing us from doing that where we can make a lot of money. I think that there are some in baseball, like you point out, that, that have figured out some of this stuff. It, it, if the story was correct that I read from John Oran in the, in the Sports Business Journal, and he's totally on top of his game, is yeah. that all of a sudden with this starting tonight, if I read this correctly, because Bally's could not reach agreements with some cable operators in greater San Diego, that starting tonight, their games potentially can be seen by over 3.2 million people compared to 1.2 million people uh, under the, the, the Bally's umbrella because they didn't work out agreements with different cable operators. I mean, if that's true, then baseball might have a way to make some serious cash. Oh, I don't believe me. I, I think that's, that's the foundation for this entire thing. Not some, well, I don't know. Maybe baseball... And it's in incredible wisdom in this regard. Look down the road three or four or five years ago and said, hey, this is going to be where real money is going to be made. Let's just sit back and wait and see how this whole thing plays out. Mm -hmm. And then if the time is right, we can jump in there and we can be uh, the entity that reaps the benefits financially from the streaming of, of professional sports. Uh, they may be looking at this whole situation as something that they will take over and that they will make millions and millions and millions of dollars through streaming uh, purposes. What other reason 
and you may have a better idea. I don't have any. What other reason would the Major League Baseball powers that be deny Valley the right to have the streaming service unless they one day would like to have it themselves? Well, the only thing I can think of in that regard, and again, I'm not smart enough, and I'm not going to even pretend to guess, but, but, or, or I'm not going to pretend to know. You know, the guess is, for me, is I think everybody looks at the NFL model as far as television, all that kind of thing. Now, baseball is a very different game, and, and every game is nationally televised in football. But, you know, they were the first ones to go out and sign, uh, you know, the big Thursday night package with Amazon. Baseball right. followed suit last year and had it has uh, this year that Friday streaming thing with Apple. I think they, they – potentially, I'm guessing – they see another line of revenue from another one of the, the, the big ones, whether it's Prime, whether it's Netflix, whether it's whoever it is, uh, that all of a sudden, you know, maybe they were protecting some of that stuff. I, I don't understand it, but, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting because, as I mentioned, there's another hearing today in Houston that the Reds are involved in. People around here got excited because Valley's paid, and this was only a portion of what they were supposed to pay the Reds overall this season. It was their first installment of payments, which they made about a month, month and a half ago. But now all of a sudden, uh, Valley's has this deal with the Reds, the Rangers, the Guardians, and the Diamondbacks, where all four of those teams are scheduled to get another round of payments here sometime soon, and Valley's is saying it ain't happening. Well, I mean, you're right. I think I think the Reds are due. Uh, I think they're due another payment in June, mm-hmm. and and it'll it'll be interesting is to see if Diamond slash Valley answers a bell, and then sends them a check uh, to cover the 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 monthly payment that they owe, uh, leading up to that particular period of time. I don't know. It, it's there's so many things available or uh, involved in this whole thing. That could, if one domino fails to fall, it could change the whole pattern of the way this thing is going to end up. But I simply can't believe that going into looking down the road, going into 2024, that this thing will still be up in the air and still be the elephant in the room. Maybe from a legal standpoint, it will and will be for a long, long time. But I just got to believe that uh, Major League Baseball has been planning for this eventuality for quite some time. I think they hired two people who uh, some months ago that have been involved in, in, in uh, televising local sports on a local or statewide level as well as streaming. So I think they're preparing to, to step into this thing uh, and, and figure out how it's going to best benefit Major League Baseball and if they decide from a streaming perspective that we can make tons and tons of money, they're going to jump into it with both hands and feet. All right. Well, we've kept you a long, long time. Appreciate it very much, as always. Great to see you. I'll look forward to seeing you a little bit later on this afternoon. Correct. We'll be right there, pal. Hey, by the way, uh, this is Casey's last uh, show before the wedding bells ring this coming Saturday. Well, if that's the case... Let's see, today's Wednesday. I imagine then that maybe tomorrow night he'll go out and get lit up again uh, and have a big party, uh, a 48-hour party. That is, he does it tomorrow tomorrow night, be 48 hours roughly before he ties the night. So he'll say, hey, let's get Paulie and all the boys together and we'll reenact. We'll reenact what we did at my bachelor party. Right or wrong, Casey? 
Sounds, sounds good to me, Casey. Right, I'm in. You have to convince me. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Get everyone else that couldn't come. You just say the oh, word, Marty. Yeah, I mean, we'll, come on. Twist my arm. We'll meet you down at the That's banks. That's a great idea. Casey's face lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah, and then he badmouths his best man for who organized the whole thing. We asked for a rating. He gave the guy an eight. The guy was a 10 plus, and Casey gave him an eight. So, you know, maybe somebody else will organize it because he ain't doing it. I don't blame I wouldn't. You don't appreciate me, then I don't want anything to do with it. That's exactly right. <laughs> I quickly changed it Doesn't to a matter. 10. You gave, when you were asked the question, you gave him an 8. You were asked the question. Then you backpedaled. You, you felt bad. And you, uh, and I'm surprised he's showing up Saturday, to be honest with you. But that's just my <laughs> opinion. All right, Dad. Love you. I'll see you tonight. All right, Tom. Love you too, pal. All Have right. a good day. Yeah, you too. All right, Marty Brenneman right there covering everything Cincinnati Reds. Reds are hot, Tom. Yes, they are hot. I give it up. I give it up. They're playing great. I mean, boy, how many of you now? I, I got to tell you, you know, I mean, I had it on. We had a lot going on. Uh, and uh, and it was whatever it was. Nine to, what, nine to two? And then it went to nine. I, I don't know. Whatever it was. And, and it's a ninth inning. And I just turn it off. And I get up this morning and I'm getting ready for the show. And I, I see nine to eight. I'm like, there's no way that's right. Nine to eight. Yeah. And the tying run was at third. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for Alexis Diaz. All-star. Well, there's no doubt. No doubt about it. I don't know how many Reds. Luke and I were talking about this last night. I don't know how many, um, how many Reds are going to make the all-star team this year. But if there is one guy for sure, and they have to take one from every team, if you have to take one guy on this team, it is without a doubt Alexis Diaz. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's going to be hard for Steer. He's right there in the hunt for the Rookie of the Year award. Um, I mean, he's got to keep going. He's got good competition there for that award. But, um, you know, he, he's not going to, as a first baseman, that's mighty tough. Damn near impossible. Because you've got some juggernauts over there at first, you know, in both leagues. But, um, you know, India, I haven't looked at some of the other second basemen around the National League. If he keeps playing the way he's playing, he's got a shot. And that's pretty much where it starts and ends. Had McLean been up here sooner, obviously, yeah. he would have a chance. But that's not happening. Um, okay. All right. Uh, people saying to extend Diaz. I I'm not extending anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. Go play. Speaking of, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we were talking about this here today with Casey and Paul and Jacob Tissett, who's interning with us this summer. The difference between Tyler Boyd and Jonah Williams. Did you read the comments yesterday made by Tyler Boyd? I mean, I'm not so sure that a PR firm could have written it any better than the things Tyler Boyd had to say yesterday when he came in for OTAs. He knows what's going on. And he addressed it. He laid it right out there. I know I'm behind in priority getting paid an extension of a contract. His contract ends at the end of the year. He said, I know that. 
I know Burrow's up. I know T. Higgins is up. I get it. But we'll talk about some of the other things that he said yesterday in uh, really what was the first time he's done any interviews with anybody since the AFC Championship game when he got hurt. Ham and Eggers, Mr. President, by all means. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Before we get into any advertisements today, make sure you like the stream. Look, we have 121 people in here watching right now. Go down there, hit that like button, share it. We have Scott Boris coming up at the top of the hour. It's going to be a great interview. You know it always is when Tom's doing an interview. So go make sure you like the stream and share this around so we get more people watching. Subscribe to the channel. Do all that good stuff. We're at 35 likes right now. Let's get it to 50 before the interview. We could probably do that. Let's get it to 50 before the interview. Come on, everybody. We're going to talk about the Bengals, too. The Bengals report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. There's also a new premium alkaline water out. It's right in front of us. It's Pawnee. Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. And the result is a healthy alkaline water that is the best tasting water in the world. You can visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. And again, Pawnee Water, it is the official water of the River's Edge uh, concert series for the summer. So if you're out here and seeing any of the great bands that are going to be out here in Hamilton, you can get some Pawnee water. If you find Pawnee out in a store, send us in a tweet. It's at the gas stations. It's all over the place in the tri-state area. Make sure you send that to us. Um, all right. So drink Pawnee water. Get your coffee from UDF. Bet with Betfred. And get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. And again, like the stream. We've already got about 10 more likes in this stream. We're at 44 now. We can get to 50. We can get to 50. And if you haven't subscribed in podcast forms, I was talking to somebody the other day, going back and listening to the show later. If you want to go back and listen to the show and you don't want to do it on YouTube, that's fine. You can download the show. It's in podcast form. The same with all the other shows here on the, on the Chatterbox Sports platform. We have a channel. On Apple Podcasts, we also have everything on Spotify, any of these other, you know, Stitcher, any of these other podcast platforms that you want to go and listen to your podcast. You can do that. Uh, just search Off the Bench, or you can search uh, any of the other podcasts. You can just search Chatterbox Sports, whatever you want, and you can find them on there. Um, I see everybody talking about merch. I, I, do, I do have one last thing oh. before we uh, continue on forward. Okay. Discord, we're trying to get people to uh, get back into the Discord a little bit, get that a little more active because we want submissions. We want Q&As, things that we can uh, do outside of the show that can just add a little content um, on our platform. So please go back to the Discord, turn on the notifications on there. We will post the Discord link here shortly. Um yeah, we'll put the yeah. we'll put the Discord link in the chat here. 
And then also on Box Lunch today, Jacob will be joining the show. He'll be sitting over there. And uh, the Zebra, yeah. Elliot Rearing, will be make his Chatterbox debut. So all of that coming up on Box Lunch today. Busy day. Busy, Busy day. day on Box Lunch. Looking forward to that. All right, quick question. Everybody chime in on the chat because I, I got to ask you something here. Okay. Okay. I mean, we, we had a big leaguer on there a second ago in Marty Brenneman. He has rooting interests like I do in Mary Mott Lacrosse. Scott Boris has no interest in rooting interest in Mary Mott Lacrosse. Do I keep the hoodie on or I go make a quick costume change? Mm. No, you keep that on. Mm. Who cares what he thinks? Because I'm just curious what you think. I'm asking your opinion. Now I want an honest answer. You, you, could, you could explain the hoodie to him off the bat if you want. Okay. All right. But it's your son's senior year playing in the state final four. I don't I think he'll understand. Yeah, I agree. All right, everybody in the everybody's saying keep the hoodie. Okay. I think you have to keep the hoodie on top. Okay. All right, fair enough. How I'll often do does your son play in a state final four in his senior year? Uh well, only one time in his senior year. This That's is right. his third straight trip to the final four. Not bad. Gotta bring home the trophy. Gotta go get him. Gotta go get him. All right, speaking of go getting them, you got some sound there from Tyler Boyd. Did I see that? I do. Okay, what is, what is, let's just put it up. We'll figure out what he's talking about. Let her rip. This is my home for now, you know, and I just ain't going to worry about the unexpected. You know, I'm here to finish this year out, and whatever happens, happens, you know, but I know we have a very, very high chance of making the Super Bowl and even winning, you know, and, and this, is where, this is where I want to be, you know, whether I come up with a new deal or not. You know, I got to just go out there, and I'm going to be me. You know, I ain't, uh, I'm very appreciative of them still uh, wanting me to be around and knowing that they don't want to trade me and things like that, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, I just got to uh, help guys get better. You know, I mean, we ain't going to be playing ball forever. You know, I might not be here forever, but I mean, I'm always love this franchise and I'm always uh, be a Bengal. He was here when the team won two games in a season. Yeah. Um, he is, you know, for all intents and purposes, he is uh, the elder statesman at only 29. Uh, of this franchise. And, you know, everybody agrees that has watched Tyler Boyd. I mean, now there's a guy that would be on your Nutcutter Nation team. That guy is a gamer. He has played through some unbelievable injuries in his career, and he just keeps on going. I mean, a couple years ago when he when he broke the finger and the thing was like sticking well, was, out of yeah, that was last year. year. Yeah. yeah. And, and goes in, surgery, fix it up, bam, right back out there. Um, this guy's been a hell of a player for this franchise through bad times and now the good times. And these are the decisions that make it very, very difficult for ownership uh, and for fans because – if you know you're going to pay Burrow and you know you're going to pay Chase, you think you're going to pay Higgins. And I say think because I don't think that's a slam dunk. I, I, I could be wrong. Um, but Boyd's contract is up at the end of the year. You just drafted Jones. And, you know, he was very complimentary about them drafting Jones. And this is a guy that could take his job. He gets it. Guy's yeah. been around the block. He lays it all out there. He says, I want to be here. I don't want to be anywhere else. This is my franchise. I love the place. 
And I love that we're competing and we're winning. And now we're a franchise that people look at and they're like, whoa, we're playing the Bengals. Better bring our A game. What are your thoughts, Casey, as Mr. Bengal of this studio? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Tyler Boyd's leadership. I like what he's done for our team. He's always been a team guy. In the future, I mean, I, this year is one thing. I think he should play as hard as this year, obviously, because he needs to get a, a, a contract somewhere, right? Um, and being the third string guy, it's hard to get what you want. Um, you know, he might not get that thousand yard season. He might not get that top money, but that's definitely what he deserves. Uh, I think he is just as important to the equation in our offense as Jamar Chase or T Higgins. I think that when they're all out there together, we are, we are at our very best. And we play our best football. When one of those guys gets hurt and they're out of the lineup, you see a significant you, – you don't see a terrible dip in production, but you see it. Yeah. And it's not where, what it could be when he's not in the lineup. And for Boyd to be almost admitting and being so selfless and saying, like, you know – I'll always be a Bengal when he knows he probably won't be a Bengal next year. I just love guys yep. like that. Love guys like that. Well, because... now that's juxtaposed with your guy, Jonah Williams. Absolutely. Who I cannot stand already. So. Wow. I don't. I'm. I'm... That, that's big. Paul, are you in shock sitting that, next that, to him? I mean, is stuff like vibrating over I there? I know. You okay, Casey? <sighs> I just hate Jonah, Jonah Williams conversation. It's old. I thought you were about to say just hate Jonah Williams. Oh, no. I, I'll never do that again. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I have my opinions on Jonah. I think, I think he is – he values himself too highly than what he actually is, what he can actually do on the field. And I think that's where I, I get my frustrations with him. Um. I think the difference between the two of them, right? Tyler Boyd knows his worth, but is selfless enough to to take that team-friendly approach. Or Jonah Williams doesn't know his worth and takes a un-team-friendly approach. And so it's just, yes, they have somewhat of the same mentality. They'll play hard for their team. But when push came to shove, Tyler Boyd is actually – what the makeup is and Jonah Williams is not what you want, right? Jonah Williams should be out there trying to compete for the right tackle spot. He should be. I agree. And I hate talking about like the contract numbers and whatnot between a left and a right, because those numbers have just in the last couple of years. I mean, it, it almost doesn't make much of a difference between the right and the left. You might make the same amount of money that you were going to make at left as right. Especially for Jonah, he's not a top-end tackle by any stretch of the imagination. No. So that, to me, I just I'm I'm not a fan of it. And the fact that um, he's not there and he knows that there's other options there that could compete and take that spot, it doesn't put him in a good position, anyways. Like he might not start 
regardless of what his contract is. I really don't think the staff is going to say, well, he, he makes $12 million, so he should be playing. When they've got Lyle Collins there, they've got, you know, they've got Carmen there working his ass off. You know, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't think the money is the reason why he's going to start. It's going to be because he's the right fit there, but there's just no way that's going to happen. When well, I would agree with you as it pertains to if it came down to Collins is not ready. Most people think he won't be, although he's looked mighty good moving around from that ACL injury late in the year. You're paying Collins a lot of money. Um, you're not paying Carmen a lot of money. And we know you're paying Williams $12.6 million. If it comes down to Williams v. Carmen, Williams is going to get it because of money, is my belief. Now, if it comes down to Williams v. Collins, and Collins is ready to go, Collins has played right tackle, proven veteran at that position. Williams is not here trying to learn that position. I think Collins gets a nod. But if it comes down to Carmen and Williams, should Collins not be ready? And look, then you got to ask yourself the question. We've talked all the time about would they trade one of these guys, Williams being the most obvious. One thing that you can't do is spend $24 million on a right tackle. You cannot do that. And that's what you would be paying. You'd be paying three guys the same amount of money that you're paying one guy to be your left tackle. They're not paying all three. Somebody's going to go. Whether it's a trade or whether it's released and you uh, soften the cap hit. But the bottom line is, is Williams is not here, and we've said it on this show from day one. It is astounding to me whatever advice he is getting. And it's one thing to get advice. It's another thing to listen to that advice. I'm going I'm to ask Scott Boris this question today. Now, he's never been a football agent. There have been guys from football that have tried to get him to be a football agent. He wants nothing to do with it. He only represents baseball players. I think he's got like 75 in the big leagues and almost 200 if you add up guys that are in the minor leagues. And, you know, uh, but, but, but I would be interested just to hear, you know, we're going to lay out as simple as possible kind of the way this thing's been handled by Williams in his camp. Uh, I'm sure he's probably, I mean, look, the thing I love about Boris is you can ask this guy anything, and we're going to ask him a lot of stuff here today, uh, including, by the way, Jonathan India just made the move last year, left his old agent, and now has hired Scott Boris as his agent. And the talk about maybe a position change, you know, potential trade we've been talking about. But, but I'm guessing, knowing Scott Boris a little bit, he's just going to say, hey, look, I don't know enough about this situation, and I'm not going to sit there and second-guess some other agent when I don't know anything about it. And you know what? He's probably right. Um, Chris Beersack. Did any of you watch The Sopranos? That's after secession. That is the greatest of all streaming shows in the history of streaming television is The Sopranos. It is the best. There is a very popular character on that show called Polly Walnuts. Chris Beersack says, I am starting to rock 
the Pauly Walnuts hairdo. I don't think that's a compliment. Type up Pauly Walnuts. You've seen this character before in lots of other things. He's a great, great actor, this guy. (laughs) I mean, uh... I mean, come on. Chris says, definitely a compliment, Tom. I'm not, I'm not buying it. I think he just passed away, didn't he? Does it say on there? Um, not sure. Okay. Let's see the picture of Paulie Walnuts. Yeah, so I'm, here's the do I'm sporting. I mean, <laughs> Tony Sirico. You know yeah. what? He's right. He died. I hate to say it. He died in July of last year. Yeah. What a great character he played in The Sopranos. Now, is that the dude that I'm sporting right now? A little darker. (laughs) 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 He might be on to something. Oh, my God. Chris, you have just, I mean, you know, you punched me right in the gut. (laughs) He was also in Goodfellas. Guy's a great actor. Um. Okay, just checking in, making sure everybody's good on the chat. Anything I'm missing here? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, he did. He died in July of last year, Tom. Okay. All okay. right. All right. Um, you know, Tom, one thing, just to get back to the Reds real quick. Yes. Since, since we're going to get to Scott Boris here in a second. I was thinking about this. One thing that I really don't want this Cubs sweep to turn into, do you remember last year, the first weekend of the year, they went down and they split that series against Atlanta? Yes. And the whole running joke of the season became, they played well in Atlanta. Right. I hope that the Reds continue to play well and the rest of the season does not become, well, they did sweep the Cubs. Remember that? I was thinking about that. That's a good that, point. Thinking, let's, let's keep this momentum going forward so that doesn't become... Well, you know, remember back in May, they swept the Cubs? I tell you, it's going to be very interesting. I don't know if they have this coming weekend any promo stuff going on, you know, bobbleheads or concerts. Oh, or they anything. got Zach Brown Friday. Okay, then, then, then it's going to be a huge crowd Friday night. And fireworks. Yeah, so that'll be a huge crowd. Uh, it will be interesting to see what kind of crowds they get then on Saturday and Sunday. Friday, I'm going to take out of the mix. Zach Brown band, they're going to be people who just come down there to, 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 to watch them. Yeah. But, you know, here they have a chance where they, um, you know, they're, they're getting people at least back on their radar because of the way they're playing. So, you know, we'll see. I still think there is a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of just kind of, eh, you know, like I just said, we'll, we'll wait and see. I, you know, I think there's just a lot of apathy out there. Uh, Friday will no doubt be a sellout. No doubt. Jacob and I will be there. Really? Yep. Zach Brown Band. You big Zach Brown Band guy? Well, they're, they're probably my favorite band. No kidding. Yeah. Yep. So Lizzie and I are going down. My whole family's going down. But we are, uh, we're all going down Friday. And, and then, uh, yeah, t- it'll be a fun weekend. Are tickets a little more expensive? Uh, yeah, I think we paid close to 40, maybe 30-something. Still, for a game, fireworks, well, and a concert? Yeah. Um, uh, Chris says that... Um, it's Joey Votto bobblehead day on Saturday. Oh, well, then there you go. There you well, go. You know. 
There you go. Well, that means I got to go. Did Zach Brown there. band sing that chicken fry song? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Pair of jeans that fit just right. Right? Yeah. Right. There you go, yeah, Tom. That's a big league song. That is a great song. It is. So the reason they're playing on Friday, it's a charity concert because one of the members of Zach Brown Band has ALS, and it's Lou Gehrig Day in Major League Baseball. So they're doing it as a charity concert uh, mm. with the Reds. So that's part of it. But they're playing a full set. It's not just like a you know one of those post-game things right. where they – I don't know how they're going to do the stage. I guess they'll set it up in between when the fireworks are going no, on. They, no, they, they, they do a really nice job. They I've do. been down there when they have those, and uh, they, they really do a nice job. They get that stage right out, uh, right around the dirt area, second base. Uh, they set yep. it up quickly, uh, and they do a really good job. You know, speaking of ALS, you see this number 37 down here on this the, the bottom of this shirt. That is the number um, G-Force is for Graham Harden, who was a legendary lacrosse player at the University of North Carolina. Later became a coach at Marymount, uh, and he died of ALS a couple of years ago. Uh, and there are all kinds of fundraisers that have uh, uh, been on his behalf. Uh, okay, is uh, Mr. Boris ready to go? He is ready. Well, it's a pleasure. I tell you, uh, I can't believe the guy's 70 because he doesn't look like it. Uh, he grew up in uh, Elk Grove, California, the son of a dairy farmer. Scott, you've come a long way since the son of a dairy farmer, young man. Good morning, and thanks for joining us so early out in Southern California. Yeah, it's nice now. I, I have to get up at 6 in the morning instead of 30. It's wonderful, you know. Were you milking cows as a kid growing up? All the time. That's kind of what you uh, – um, I read the Ted Williams book on hitting, and I'd cut a tire in half, and I nailed it to a post outside the barn. And what we do is we would, uh, you, you put the milk machine on the cow and you had, a, you know, some minutes where you could go out, take some swings, go back in, change it, put it back on. So that was the daily routine. You know, it's an incredible work ethic to learn, though, Scott. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've been around a lot of football players, offensive linemen, guys that grew up in Wisconsin or, or in Ohio, and they grew up on dairy farms or worked on dairy farms, whatever it might be, farming in general. I mean, the work ethic you learn, um, whether it's on a family farm, it's, it, it, it's so unique, I think, compared to just about anything else. Would you agree with that? You know, I just gave a uh, commencement speech at my law school, and my father, who's 93, um, um, got to come, and, and I, I thanked him for the, what I call the, the farmer's ethic of uh, – of what they do and uh, and how hard farmers work uh, to care for their land and their animals and and really keep their farm running. Um, for me, uh, we out we had our crops and you had to sit on tractors and and such. And uh, I would literally tape a transistor underneath my baseball cap and I got to listen to Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons and Bill King with the. Uh, Giants and A's, and that that just made my day and made my passion for baseball all the more. You know, uh, you end up walking. Oh, oh, by the way, I was supposed to apologize ahead of time for my attire. Our son is playing in uh, the state lacrosse final four today, and so I am donning his uh, our high school Marymount High School tonight. So I apologize if I look like I, I just walked out of a bar. Please, well, congratulations! Yeah, the cross is a great game. Yeah, it's a great game. Um, 
really hurting baseball here in Ohio. We can talk more about that a little bit later on. But um, you, know, you, you walk on as a baseball player at, at the University of Pacific. Uh, you end up in the school's Hall of Fame. You spend four years in the minor leagues as a player. You were an all-star at three different levels in the Cardinals organization. And then a knee injury wrecked uh, your career. How hard was that knowing what could have been, I guess, um, to walk away from the game so young? Um, you know, the uh, I had a uh, college professor, organic chemistry professor, uh, Dr. Gross, uh, tell me one time. He came out and watched me play, and things were going really good for me in college, and I was lead the team in hitting, and pro teams were uh, interested in me, and things were going the way he wanted it to go. And uh, he said to me, um, remember that what you do above the shoulders is going to have a lot more to do with your life than what goes on below. And uh, your biggest asset as an athlete is going to be your mind. And don't forget that. And as you go forward, uh, keep that in mind. And it was valued advice. They sat in a hospital bed after my third knee operation. And uh, I uh, always remember that, that advice and, and, frankly, that direction about taking on and always keeping the mind active and learning. And, and really, that's what took me to law school after my you know, baseball career ended. Well, you know, it's one thing, Scott, as you know, to get advice. It's another thing to heed the advice, especially if it's good advice. You got your doctorate in um, pharmacy, a degree there. Then you go to law school, get your law degree. 1980, you start a career as a sports agent. Uh, very different world in 1980 than it is right now uh, to be a sports agent. Who or what made you decide that was going to be your career path? You know, I, uh, um, George Kissel was a mentor of mine in, in the Cardinal organization. And uh, he, would, he would always say a couple things to me. He goes, thank God you can hit because it's going to give you enough time to uh, learn how to catch a baseball. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he also said to me, no matter what you do, I could just tell you in your life that baseball is going to be the face of you. And he repeated that two or three times. And I, I, uh, I was hopeful that that meant I was going to stay in the game as a player for a good bit. And, um, but when I was outside of baseball, I, uh, you know, I'd had now 11, 12 years of school. I had medical legal degrees and, and I had a resume and I prepared for these law firm interviews, postgraduate in, uh, in law school. And in doing so, um, I looked at all the companies that each law firm represented. Most of them were drug corporations or medical associations. And so I went into every interview, I think there was like eight of them, and every interview, all they talked about was baseball. They talked about my baseball career, what we did, uh, all those things. And I, I was astounded. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And uh, got a job offer from, from all the firms. 
And so when I started my legal career, uh, my teammates kept, call kept calling me. We were talking about how they thought their approach, uh, you know, how to get better. Really a lot of the psychology of the game that we shared when we played together. And, um, and then one of my senior partners came to me and said, look, I have a family that uh, is, uh, their son is a, a very good baseball player and he's a high draft pick. And he asked, why don't these drafted players have representation? And uh, I want you to do pro bono work and, and help these people. And I said, I'm not sure it quite works that way. Uh, you have to have talent to have leverage in the draft and, and, but I got the idea that the drafted players had, the bonuses had not changed from 65 with Rick Monday all the way through. This was in 1982. And I went out and picked two players, Tim Belcher and Kurt Stilwell. I said, I'm going to aid these players, both high school and college players in, um, in the draft. And they ended up being the first and second players chosen. And, uh, and after that, my, my calling was, was about given to me that it wasn't going to be in a medical legal career. It was going to be more in the, in a, in the game I love in baseball. You, you had players, if people know their names, if they follow the game for a long time, when you first started out. I mean, you mentioned the two amateur players, but you had Manny Trio, I think. You had Bill Caudill, uh, good players, sometimes great players. But... Is Greg Maddox the guy that put you, quote, unquote, on the map? Without a doubt. Um, uh, Mad Dog was – I watched him pitch in high school, and uh, he had some unusual bad luck. He had the bases loaded, nobody out, and then he just went in and just, you know, massaged the baseball – really control a fastball, make it run both ways, right and left. Amazing changeup. And, and as a former player, you recognize this. And he was a rather diminutive athlete uh, for pitchers. And uh, we developed a relationship. And um, he had a family friend. And they didn't hire me originally. But I kept talking with him, going to see him. And then finally, he gave me the trust to uh, – represent him and and then we went through the steps of advising him to turn down as a first multi-year contract offer and the second and the third and and all the advice proved to be correct as to his assessment of his career and um, and then he ended up getting uh, record contracts in both his first and second free agent uh, periods in his career and and through Greg's performance and him uh, providing, you know, evidence to players that I knew both the game and and legally what to do and how to manage the CBA and arbitrations and free agency, it really allowed me the platform of a great talent to to exercise my skills and and, and advance my career in, in uh, being a baseball attorney. Well, you know, you're the first agent that signed a player to a $50 million long-term deal. That was Maddox. Um, the first guy on a $100 million deal in Kevin Brown. Um, the first guy on a $200 million deal in Alex Rodriguez. 
and then uh, the 10-year, $252 million deal for A-Rod. You've had lots of other guys since. I mean, guys, big stars today, Bryce Harper and Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon and on and on and on and on. Um, have you become, as the years have gone by, do you spend more time uh, as, as the agent for the players and all that entails in that? Or a recruiter for amateur players, high school, college players, to keep the business going? Um, to do this correctly, it really takes an army of people to represent players correctly. Um, we have 140 people in our company. And uh, we've got a sports training institute was headed by Steve Rogers, who for 15 years was a strength conditioning coach of the White Sox. And... And Steve uh, has done remarkable studies on durability. Uh, the most important thing you can get these athletes to understand is they have to be available and durable. And we have to, we know how to train them and what to do. We work with the teams to do that. Um, I have uh, all over the world um, uh, development and scouting people that we certainly are very selective. Like we're probably the fifth largest uh, agency and volume, but we're very selective about the players who we choose to represent. Uh, we have a, a draft uh, division, amateur division, where we monitor all the conduct of the players available to the draft, international divisions, uh, where we really look for those unique talents. Um, all of them are headed by uh, an expertise in the office uh, to run our business. Um, you know, former major leaguer Jeff Musselman runs our office, and Scott Champarino, a former major leaguer, runs our draft and development. Mike Fiore, uh, um, who uh, uh, also is a, a tremendous collegiate player and Olympian, runs all of our communication systems with the players. Um, we have a, a probably 35 people that never leave the office. All they do is study the uh, statistical data, we create algorithms and analytic theories upon which we base our um, evaluative measures of what to do with the player once they are in the major leagues and, and what that evaluation is like. So it is a, it's a very complex focus on, and we only represent baseball players. That's the other part. We, we really stay close to the industry because when you go to a parent's home, you know, to the home of a parent and you're talking about their son, we want to know that what we do 24-7 is about what their son does. So um, it's very different than the infrastructure of all the other agencies because most of them are part of a, a large entertainment company or they, they may do other things, their company, PR, corporate advancement, those kinds of things. And they all have sports divisions and represent multiple sports Um that is not how I choose to run our business. And we want families to know that Boris Corporation is, is really a, uh, a one-stop shop for expertise in baseball. You know, Scott, you're not always the most popular guy in the room um, when you get together with, uh, you know, uh, some general managers, some team owners, whatever the case might be. Uh, I know that that's not your job and perhaps that's uh, how you would, would answer this, but you know, look, I mean, there are people always – when you're successful, people are going to take shots at you no matter what you do. 
Uh, I have always said, and we were talking about it before you came on the air today, the question was asked in this room, does anybody in sports do their job better than Scott Boris? And I looked at him after asking the question. I'm like, there's no chance there's anybody that does their job better in pro sports than Scott Boris. But it also means that there are a lot of people that don't like Scott Boris. How do you handle that? Well, you know, it's funny, and thank you for that, Tom. I well, I mean that. it. I mean, I look, I, I, you know, I've said many, many times, Scott, I, I don't even know if you remember this. I told a story on the air yesterday, and we were talking about you coming on. Uh, about when Greg Maddox was still with the Cubs, and I had made some comments on WGN. Uh, and I get back to the hotel that night, and you called my hotel room, and I talked to you on the phone about it. And I thought to myself, you know, that's the kind of guy I wish was my agent, that if somebody had something to say about him that might have any kind of influence, small albeit, uh, on the opinions of other people, um, that, that this guy would go to bat for me that way. And I, and I found it phenomenal and have thought so ever since but 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 back to the question i didn't mean to go off on a tangent no i, I think that uh, this has been rather generational when i first started in this it was back when uh general managers were seasoned people in the game and they weren't used to having lawyers walk into their office and say things to them about the value of players and why and and, uh, and frankly, in that era, they were largely unprepared, unprepared. and their direction towards information was uh, more emotional than it was substantive. Um, my job when you're a baseball player, it was very easy for me to go in and tell them, look, um, I've been offered jobs to work for teams. Uh, I've been offered jobs to manage teams. I've been offered all these things when my, uh, during my playing career, when it ended. Um, I took a route where I'm representing players. Uh, don't think for a minute that my judgments will be assessed, evaluated, but in time, the judgments that we've made were proved to be correct. Uh, and then with that came the respect that we, that what we have to say is of merit. And modernly, we don't, we work with teams and the general managers do not in any way um, um, carry on a, a real adversarial position. Um, there is uh, people that may not say it to you directly, indirectly, and I always say the idea is that I owe you the respect of preparation. I owe you the respect of substantive information. And I also owe you the respect of returning and calls and being on time. And I don't care what role you have in the game. <clears throat> I don't care what your age is. Um, you're in the game and you have a role and we want to respect that role and help you achieve it as we hope you help us achieve ours. But. Early on, after I did my first couple arbitration cases, and I had my labor law professor aid me in the development of the advocacy for those cases, he said to me that if you continue on the path that uh, you're headed here, and we had won our first couple cases, he goes, 95% uh, of what's going to be said about you is going to be negative. However, your 
players, your clients are going to love you. Learn how to deal with professionally negative commentary. Learn how to understand it and remember that anything that you do to counteract negativity has to be substantively based and it can't be emotionally based and expect people to question what you do, how you do it. Um, expect them to not be on the side of your uh, advocacy for the players, but understand that if you take that approach, um, the like and dislike of a situation will not be relevant. The professionalism of it will be. Um, when you get up every morning and come into the office, and you're a guy who goes to baseball games virtually every night. I mean, uh, you, you're right there watching games. Uh, people come into to Anaheim or come into Dodger Stadium, and you have clients on different teams and so forth. So you're there very late at night. You're coming in, in the morning. Obviously, you're getting up to do this very early in the morning out in California, and we greatly appreciate it. But you have, uh, you know, I, I read an article. You have a staff that, that and you brought it up earlier, how – uh, they assemble everything that happened the night before for every single one of your clients, how they did at the plate, how they did in the field, whatever it might be. Are, are, is that the first thing you do when you walk in the office, unless you've gotten some urgent phone call from somebody? Are you looking at that data or, or what are you looking at over the course of the day? The, the best part of this job, Tom, is really helping players be better players. And, um, you know, we have a, psychological division, which is headed by Don Carmen, who's a former major leaguer. Don was trained by Harvey Dorfman, who uh, I hired, and, and Harvey was really the first expert, you know, baseball psychologist that I worked with. And, and there's so much mental side. I'm not a hitting coach. We're not a pitching coach. We stay out of that realm because you really have to be there with the players on the film to do that, on the field to do that. And so what we do is we talk about their approach we talk about what they're thinking and what, how they're uh, looking at things. And often um, we have a list where throughout the course of a season, everyone will be on that list, but it's a, it's a, it's a list where the performance of the player is, is not at the level that uh, he hopes it would be. We have those discussions. We work through it. We go historically. We, we really do a lot of things to give them uh, – kind of their most successful moments, uh, talk about those, uh, and, and really aid them in giving them a foundation and, uh, for, um, you know, taking on the game every day, which is so difficult. But I have a, on our database, I have a, a list of every player we represent, major league, minor league. I get an update every half hour on that, on my phone. Uh, when I come home at nights, I get a complete download of of all the players' performances we had from the, the day before. You review it and you talk to those players that normally are, are, are having uh, difficult moments in the game. And, uh, and every once in a while, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll be on the phone talking to a player about a remarkable achievement. As frankly, of late, I've been with Matt McClain with, with the Reds, who's, who's had a remarkable start to his career in Cincinnati. He sure has. Uh, it's interesting you bring up McLean because you also uh, became the representative for Jonathan India. Now, look, you, you uh, have, uh, I'm sure, over the last day or two, 
Been a lot of chatter here in town with all these prospects coming up. You mentioned McLean, you've got him. We've heard about Ellie De La Cruz, all these kinds of things. And the potential uh, of India, who's been an outstanding offensive player, uh, his defensive metrics have not been very good, um, that, that there's a possibility with a, with a whole fleet of quote-unquote infielders that the Reds should consider uh, asking India to move to the outfield. How do you feel about things like that? Because you've had other players where this has come up. Well, the subject of defensive metrics are, are it's something that may take a whole other conversation, but uh, they're not very real to me. They're, they're something that is uh, almost 95, 96% of what a player does on the field is something about the catch and the throw and the consistency of it. This idea of these range metrics that play a portion of the small percentage of what players do, and that's how we're going to evaluate an infielder. Um, you know, to, to be a player like Jonathan Indian, hit and play on the dirt um, uh, and such is a, is a very rare and valued uh, asset for a major league team. You know, and I, I don't tell teams what to do with players or how to do it. I do know this, that when a player is playing well and doing well, um, you do not interject them without proper training, without um, an appropriate um, period of time to insulate a player. Um, I have a great player in uh, um, Royce Lewis who – um, is a remarkable talent, and he's an infielder, and he's very athletic. And he was put into a situation in the outfield, you know, due to an injury in a game um, in, uh, in Minnesota. What happened? He gets hurt. Um, and when you're, you're doing unfamiliar things on a major league field, you have to be very, very cautious about uh, the level of training and, and what you do. You're, an outfield throw versus an infield throw. Um, you know, utilization of the outfield walls and, and the routes and paths to do it. It's just not something that you uh, do to a player uh, in, in a moment. It takes a great deal of preparation and time to do that. And, and then you go from there. The other thing is the preference of the player. Um, and normally players who are um, certainly all-star level talents at their position um, they understand that that while one organization may have a um, you know a lot of talent at one particular position, uh, other organizations most don't certainly that can play at that level and the hit at that level. So um, I'm sure it's nice to be the Cincinnati Reds and have all the wonderful infielders that they have because few organizations have that, and I think the decisions going forward are more about you know, how they they look at that and what they decide. But I, I certainly can tell you that Jonathan is playing at a high level at second base, and, um, and I'm sure that he certainly wants to continue playing at that position because he's playing it so well and doing so well offensively. You know, I'm kind of curious, Scott, as you, you know as well as I do, that, look, you, you can look at a set of statistics and you can present them in such a way that could prove either side of a debate, right? Um, 
you know, one of the big debates around here kind of going hand in hand with what you're talking about with, you know, a gluttony of, of really good infielders, young infielders, where are you going to play them? Uh, is somebody willing to move to the outfield? I don't know if you represent – do you represent Jose Barrero? No, I don't. Okay. Okay. This was more of a theoretical question, but it involves a guy like him. The Reds brought him up very, very young, probably a little too young. Uh, in 2021, he's a number one ranked player in the minor league system, and he has a monster offensive season. He's come up to the big leagues and has really not hit much, although he's not playing regularly much either, um, in, in fairness to him. But I'm kind of curious, based on all the data you have, uh, and I could ask a baseball, you know, somebody who's a GM or something, and maybe this number would be different. But, but, but is there a certain amount of time where, you know, you feel like it's fair at bats, plate appearances, whatever it is, innings, uh, to, to, to truly uh, form an opinion on whether you think a guy is a regular major league everyday player? You know, Tom, there, there are many varieties of introduction of a player to the major leagues. And, you know, this goes back to the eye test and it goes back to your own personal playing days when you advanced through the levels of the minor leagues and you're playing. The one thing you learn is that the player's psychology when he arrives in the major leagues is that this is a destination that he wants to keep. When you're in the minor leagues, you don't really care where you play. Uh, there's no ownership of it. The psychology of it is completely different because you're playing, the uniform you're playing in, and all those things don't really matter. When you put on a major league uniform for the first time and you're in the big leagues, you now want to keep that uniform. You want to stay in that city. Uh, all those things are interjected in addition to your play. Then you add to that that you have been a prospect. You've been a player who's played every day, you're everywhere you've been in your life. And all of a sudden you arrive in the big leagues and you're faced with not playing every day. You know, Jonathan India went through this when he first arrived in the major leagues and, and he was in and out of the lineup. And then he got um, a performance level that allowed him psychologically to really start putting at bats together and he earned the everyday job and then earned to be the rookie of the year. But if you look at the start of that year to where he came through it, he had to weather those psychological moments of the concern, the newness to all those factors. Now, with each individual player, it may not go to where all of a sudden you're going to grab onto it within a short period of time and then earn that everyday job. Um, and a lot of it, you have to look at individually, but when a player's that young and he hasn't had that six or 700 consecutive plate appearances in the major leagues, um, I, am, I look at the information and the performance levels much differently than I would uh, if he were given the everyday job. He didn't have the concerns of going up or down um, and he knew that he was established in the major leagues, then his performance is truer to me, and there's less psychological components that can interfere with it. Um, the, the news came out not too far from you uh, last night 
that Valley Sports, Diamond Sports, all under the Sinclair umbrella, uh, would not meet its obligation in a contract to pay the San Diego Padres. They say the landscape has changed on and on and on. We've talked a little bit about already this morning. Um, I have said for months, Scott, I think this might end up being the single biggest development in sports in this calendar year, 2023, and perhaps into 24. Where do you think all this is going? Is, uh, do you think ultimately this could be a good thing for baseball, or is this trouble for baseball? No, I, I think the financial positioning of one particular company uh, has little to do with the value value of what the rights of the baseball team are, content and all those. This may be a um, a wonderful opportunity for baseball to garner the rights of a team, create their own internal production, uh, stream it, um, collect the resources from it, um, and really build the foundation of success that I think right retention of, of in, in this sport, baseball, uh, can bring. I, I think the model of what we can do with streaming is something that's uh, uh, far beyond what the, the, the cable system offered. Uh, what we can do to generate interest with it, and also how we can uh, really economically weaponize it to be a benefit to teams. So um, I, I think this is a, um, a way where the freedom of, uh, of rights uh, given to the teams and given to the league will illustrate the greater value and purpose of it. We hear so much about big market, small market. Uh, certain teams, uh, and you know who they are, Reds are one of them. Uh, although the Reds in past years have spent some money to try and win, they're, they're clearly going a different direction. A lot of other teams are going a different direction. Uh, do, do you buy the big market, small, and I don't mean the market size in the city they live in. I'm saying, are you, do you buy at all, and you have an incredibly unique perspective on all this, uh, but for the fan out there, uh, are, are you buying this big market, small market thing and that small market teams can't compete? Well, I would say that in any league, any sports league, you have venues that have different values. <clears throat> if you buy New York, Chicago, L.A., you know, you're going to pay a different value for it than you will you know, Cleveland uh, or um, Cincinnati. And why? Population, market size, all those things. So when you go to put a league together, what do you do to create parity? And what do you do also to reward the owners who are paying five times as much, four times as much for a larger population and media market than those that are entering the league and paying really 20, 25% of that value to enter the league. You certainly can't go in and say that a league in a structure, when you're including all these cities of different size and market valuation, you can't say that they deserve equal treatment. 
You can't do that. And the reason is the investment is literally four to five times as much for the major markets as it is for uh, the, uh, the smaller cities. So what you have to do is create an equilibrium, an equilibrium that allows the rewards of the purchase um, to be uh, arguably brought to light. And then you allow for um, a league component because those teams in the major markets literally have to pay to get competition into their cities to take advantage of their market share and what they do. What is that cost? And there should be a cost. And then the, the cities that are in the smaller markets, they are paying lesser than that amount to bring those teams into their markets because it has lesser value to them. And that equilibrium as to how you figure that out and what you do in leagues is usually going to be that you would expect that there should always be different approaches to um, competitiveness and performance. And by having the freedom for different approaches, and this is why salary caps to me have become something that prevents so many franchises from being intellectually um, and fiscally sound, is that they're, always, they're never going to change because the system doesn't allow for um, intellect to operate. And uh, for example, the uh, one club can go out and have a, a, a rubber band approach, a flex approach, where they're going to go in and say, this is the time that we're going to you know, double or triple our payroll. And then we have other development times in our franchise history where we're going to limit what we do. So I, I'm not, I fully believe that owners should be able to do what owners want to do. I don't believe in floors or ceilings. I, I believe that the what the unique nature of a franchise should be, should be that of what the intellect of the organization should determine uh, in that moment in time. And allowing the freedom of a structure to allow that to happen, I think best serves the league and best serves um, the fans so that they know that their ownership has no restraint and they know that their ownership has no no minimums that they have to meet either. But, but on that salary cap issue, though, Scott, you know, you, I, I think it's fair to say now intellectually or theoretically, you can completely disagree with what I'm about to say. But, you know, the, the, the football model, let's just use them as an example where they have a floor, they have a ceiling. Uh, and that kind of thing. I mean, a team like the Green Bay Packers with a population of 107,000 people can compete with New York, L.A., Chicago. Why is that a bad thing? Well, football is a different sport. It's an event sport. They only play eight home games. So consequently, their structure is largely around a TV contract. In our game, we have 81 home dates for a major league team. Many of these teams, their structure is around the uh, fans and who they draw to the ballpark and what they do. You know, for example, like the Oakland Raiders are not a good, or I should say the Las Vegas Raiders are not a particularly good football team, but they make the most money in the NFL. Why? Because people buy their tickets at premiums because when they have that event in Las Vegas, all forms of fans come there from the opposing team to have a... Uh, a weekend junket in Las Vegas and watch their 
home football team play. Therefore, the value of their tickets went extraordinarily up and they're generating massive amounts of income uh, that other teams don't. So in each model, you can find a, uh, an exclusionary element of it. But remember, in baseball, you have to fit it to what the league is. We are a, uh, um, we're not an event sport. We are a sport where we have 81 games to market and sell in a particular region. And for doing that, we have to look at the game completely differently. But when you talk about restraint, when you talk about what one particular club or owner has to do, that you're going to fit into that model by inception. You, you have owners that are paying values that are completely different than the majority of the other owners to buy into the league. And therefore, you have to accommodate that in the structure of the league to, for it to be competitive. You know, we've got Tampa Bay, who has a completely different model than, um, you know, the New York Yankees. But on the other side of it is Tampa Bay builds a player. They come in and they say, look, after four or five years service, um, this player is not affordable to me. Who's going to buy that player? Who's going to trade for it? Well, the answer is we want to have portals for that so that that team can get, has someone to sell that player to. And in return, they get their prospects to re-engage. So this quid pro quo actually exists where if you had a salary cap, that team couldn't move that player. That team wouldn't have a portal to allow for it to restructure in its own dimension in the ways that they do things. So free agency uh, and uh, valuations and having flexibility in some teams can pay more for a payroll than others actually creates uh, more of a dimension for winning in different ways, using your intellect in different ways. And it also allows you to to uh, have a flow in the league that creates different spheres of, of opportunity, different spheres of competitive approach to allow for um, essentially different ways of winning, which I think makes the league vastly more interesting. Would you be in favor of every player being a free agent at the end of every year? No. No, I think there has to be um, there has to be standards in sport. You don't want to go out and project players on the basis of, of subjective potentials. You want to see exhibited performance. And in baseball, we have a system where few, if any, players reach free agency after six years. I mean, it's maybe an 8% level. You've got to perform. You have to perform year after year. And before you give a player a contract of years and value, you want to be certain that you understand the player, the player understands himself, the player is filtered into a dynamic where you know all aspects of him. Um, and I know my, my trust in the game and what we want to do, I want to know that about the people that I work for too. And I want them to know it. And I want them to have an established uh, criteria for performance that I can be an advocate for, not just uh, one year. And I think our game would be in, in very difficult shape because of the fact that 
we need to have a volume of performance, uh, arguably four or five years minimum, to really look at who, what the constitution of a player, what his performance levels are. And then we have great criteria upon which to uh, make major investments in that player. Uh, but certainly if you made every player a free agent, you would disrupt fan bases. You would create assessments that would be based upon very, very limited information. And I don't think that you would want to uh, uh, run a league in that manner. Well, Scott, you've been so generous with your time so early in the morning. Uh, there, there are a thousand things I, I, I'd like to ask you about, but maybe we'll do it another day. I just can't thank you enough for your time this morning and for joining us here on Off the Bench. Well, I uh, wish you well in your uh, lacrosse. Thank you. With your son, and I uh, hope all that goes well. I, I just watched the uh, a little bit of the uh, championship with uh, – Yeah. Uh, and, and women's lacrosse is pretty exciting. So Yeah, uh, it's really exciting. This is his third straight trip to the, to the Final Four. We won the whole thing two years ago, got beaten in the semis last year, team that beat us last year. We're playing them again tonight. So we'll see what happens. Well, great. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Thanks, Thank Scott. You so All much. the best. Thank you. Scott Boris, kind enough to join us uh, very early in the morning out in Southern California. Um, and I tell – you know, I mean, I've said it a thousand times. Uh, it, yeah, there might be people out there that aren't Boris guys. And you know what? That's fine. No problem. No problem. Uh, and I get why some people get upset with a guy. But uh, if there's anybody out there, whether some of you are in a union, for example, or you're in some kind of job where you require representation of some kind, uh, and, and I've been in that world for, you know, 35, 32 years, um, Man, you know, the thing I love about what they do is, and I, I wish we could have really gotten more, he alluded to different parts of it in, in the way his corporation is set up. But the thing that they, you heard him say very early on in the interview, they are all about sustained excellence and everything that goes into that for their clients. Now, they've had guys like Steven Strasburg, you've talked about him before, gets him a huge contract, right? injured forever and getting paid all that money. Well, that's a risk both sides take, right? And it's happened, and it's a shame. Uh, and there's nothing any kind of fitness regimen is going to do to change a blown elbow or a bad shoulder. You can't do anything about it. Uh, unfortunately, it happens. But, but when it comes to the work his company does, I can tell you right now, if I had a kid that was going to go play baseball and he was a Tim Belcher or he was an Ellie De La Cruz or he's ever, that's the guy. Because he's not just going to look at the stat sheet every day. Oh man, my guy's tearing it up down. You, you heard most of the time his work with his clients is when guys aren't playing good. And why aren't they playing good? He's talking to them about their sleep, about their nutrition, about the, 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 what are they doing in the offseason. He said he's not a hitting coach. He said he's not a pitching coach. They don't have guys telling them, oh, you know, turn your hips different, and the pitching coach is telling them something different. This is all more about the mental side and the physical preparation day by day over the course of a season and during the entire offseason. Anything strike you in particular, gentlemen, for Mr. Boris? Uh. 
Nothing you didn't just cover right there. I think those were the biggest things to me. I just it's interesting hearing his take on some of these things. You know, just just the overall purview of what he has and and his importance in this sport. I don't think there's anything though that stood out that you didn't just mention. Yeah, the the only thing I would have been curious to know is just more about what his thoughts are on certain players on the Reds. Um, I know that Sir Boy had a super chat up um, yep. earlier about Ellie, but other than that, I mean, he he had a lot of different topics there about all around MLB, and you know, it's a good interview. All right, uh, we'll take a quick timeout, wrap up a couple of other things uh, leading up to. Do we have a uh, cherry on top? Today? We're working on that right all now. Right, working on it now. All right, Ham and Eggers, take it away. It's that type of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right, so uh, this is the second break of the day. So I just want to take the time to say that we are going to be doing box lunch very shortly. And we're going to have the zebra and we're going to have Jacob. Over there on the other side, on the the uh, the side camera here, and um, it's going to be a good show. It's going to be a really good show. Um, I'm sure all of you are very excited to to get your chance to see um, Elliot. And um, we never did get the Discord link. That's right. I, I will right I, here. We will get that up there very shortly, so then you guys can make sure that you join the Discord, so then that we can. Uh, I got it right here, Casey. Hold on. Extend this chat to after hours, um, after the shows are done. And then, uh, yeah. Um, any any thoughts on um, anything, anything coming up today? I'll tell you what. The one thing I do want to mention is the, the Lamar Hunt Cup Open. Um <laughs> If another player on FC gets hurt, despite where they're at right now, I don't even think it's worth playing your starters if another one gets hurt. I mean, at this point, I, I know Nick Haglin, for those that are in the chat, I know um, many of you love the MLS, so you would know who Nick Haglin is. The fact that we lost him, I don't think is a big blow, and I don't think it was a huge injury, but they cannot afford to lose anyone else right especially when it doesn't quite matter i'm in the mindset kind of with tom that they need to just play for the mls cup right but i also get the fact that they want to you know bring some hardware home right they want to they want to fill up their trophy case and I, I i get it um but for tonight um i am i'm a little a little weary. I want to see what the lineup is, and someone's going to have to check in on me to make sure that I, I haven't blown a gasket if they've got a full starting lineup out there because they usually won't post that until an hour before the, I, the game. But Alex points out, is tonight a – I thought tonight wasn't. I was just assuming that's what you guys were, were saying. Is, is tonight an MLS match? Is it an MLS match? I Were we mistaken again? Tom, Tom, tonight's an MLS match for FC. It's not a. Uh, it's not. Oh, really? A, yeah. They play it's not an open cup match. So it's. So they're so playing they tonight and then again on Saturday. Yeah. So they play tonight in New York, and then they play Saturday, uh, here. Would they play Saturday here? 
Oh, they do. Yeah, they and, play Saturday at home. And then against Chicago. And then they play next with Tuesday. Tuesday against Pittsburgh. That's the Open Cup match. Boy, I'll tell you. Man. I mean, I'd have to be like Scott Boris and go get a doctor in pharmacy and have to go get a law degree just to figure out what in the hell's going on with with FC Cincinnati. Yeah, Alex actually brings up a really good point. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name because it's like, whoop. I'm not even going to try to do it because it's really They're difficult. missing some good dude. They, yeah, they uh, lost the guy on, on yellow cards. Um, that's he's been the playing. biggest. I, that's got to be one of the stupidest rules in sports. I would love for somebody that really knows the game to explain that to me. Well, you get five in a row, five yellows in a row or something like that. I think it's five. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I understand, like, the rule. I mean the reasoning behind it. So what? You I th- get some yellow cards and you get suspended? I think some yellow cards are pretty ticky-tacky as well. Yeah, half of them in that sport are flops. Yeah. You know I, what I've realized? I mean, come on. Did you see – I get back to the lacrosse thing again. Did you see any of the national championship game between Notre Dame and Duke? No, I did not. All right. Notre Dame has these two brothers. Last name, Kavanaugh. Yeah, their brother played in 2014 against Duke. Okay. In the semifinal game, one of these Kavanaugh guys gets hit in the head and splits his eye wide open. He goes to the sideline. Do they say, you know, you might want to sit down? No. They stitch him up back in the game. In the championship game less than 48 hours later, the single dirtiest play I've maybe ever seen in sports, and I've seen a lot of bad ones. This Duke guy leads with his helmet, much like you see a football wide receiver, the same guy who had his eyes split open, right? He, the Duke guy, leads with his helmet, hits this guy right in the helmet, knocks the helmet off. And down is this kid from Notre Dame. He wasn't down 10 seconds. In lacrosse, it was a two-minute penalty. In your sport, you'd have been thrown out of the league for a week. Yellow card. You know what I've realized? Come on, Casey. Yellow card. You know what I've realized? Give me a break. The yellow book. card. Yellow card, you, you don't get. You don't I'm get not saying out. you ought to be able to go hit guys in dirty stuff, and thank you very much. But I mean, come on. Come on. When's the last time, and I'm not advocating this, when is the last time you saw a, a soccer player not get injured? I'm not saying that. I don't mean that they turn their knee or they roll their ankle or something. I don't mean that. When's the last time you saw any of those guys have any physical contact? Of any kind. You know what I've what I've realized the more and more and more I've seen these guys like really watch the sport in the last year and a half or so. Because this doesn't happen in college. It happens in the pros. Yes. I know where you're going. It's just a timeout. That's all it is. They get down, the guys come over, they get some water. It's just a 
It's just a timeout. And honestly, that's, that has helped me kind of accept the whole flopping thing a whole lot more. Because that's all it is. It's just a timeout. That gives the guys an opportunity to come over, get some water, catch their breath. Then the guys get back up and they're fine. Did you see this from Alexandria? Yes, I saw. <laughs> I mean, I this not... is a woman you're marrying in I... three days. Yeah, she's just exposing me all over. She just said, quote, Casey fakes it till he makes it. Now, what in the hell does that mean? Well, you should just read her next, her next chat. Well, let me scroll down. Gets all of his info from yeah. my dad and me. Correct. Right? Yep. So is that true? That's about 75% true. I didn't mean to throw you under the bus, Casey. I'm sorry. It's okay. Oh, it my happens. God. PB's ghost. I'm telling you, this dude is climbing. Yep. I mean, he is right Some, there. Someone's got he to be. He is all over it. Someone in this group has got to be the soccer guy. And I, I have taken the challenge. I've taken the torch. And I'm trying to lead the charge. And I, all I can do is be a, a fan. So, you know, I might not be Stick the expert. Stick to your guns, Casey. I might not be the expert, but I do watch. And you I've do, got opinions. There's no doubt about that. I give you credit for that. All the credit in the world. Hey, look. Paul and I aren't the ones beating you down. Your bride in roughly a little over 72 hours, 96 hours, is the one that's beating you down. She loves beating me down. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Boy, I'll tell you. You have just reached the same level as ex-professional. I thought it was impossible. Paul, any thoughts? No, I got no pa- I got no no thoughts. No thoughts. Casey speaks for himself. <laughs> I mean, guys uh, are killing you. You want to repeat that or no? You rather not? I'd rather not. Okay. Just for her sake. Wedding line is going down to plus five hundo. <laughs> Why isn't that up there in our scroll? There's some ridiculous thing up there about Marymount Lacrosse, the plus 22 and a half. Whatever it is. I saw that come there a minute ago. That's the over-under. Yeah, I know that's the over-under, but I'm saying well, we know that's not legit. So why isn't there a Casey wedding line? Uh, you know, that is one joke that we just we talk about all the time. Like, it's in the chat. I'm surprised we never put it in the ticker. I mean, it might as well be on the BetFred app. You might want to check. It might be on there. Who knows? Alexandria chimes in one more time. Oh, now she now she's gonna. Of course, give me some course. praise, right? Of course, she does that. Casey's come a long way from you know his get rid of the offsides rule opinion. You know what she's doing? She's doing that. Here's some praise, and then here's the criticism, and then the praise. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, it's the it's that sandwich that they talk about in, in couples counseling. She's trying to do that right now. You've already done couples counseling. You know what you're supposed to. Have you done some of that? I applaud you if you have. No, we have not. Well, I, I think that is a very important thing. I would, I would recommend that very much for people before they get married. I've heard, I'm being totally serious about this. I've heard that advice many times. I think there are certain topics that you think you kind of cover, but the people in that role who know some of the questions to ask to find out, wow, I didn't know my wife to be felt like, that I mean, not, not, 
you know, you'll talk about kids, which you want to have kids one day. But then you start talking about, okay, well, if we had kids and I had a job making enough money uh, for both of us, would you want to be a stay-at-home mom? And then you start getting into all kinds of things that are really deep, topical uh, discussions that are quite healthy for um, a man and, and wife to be in this case. Alexandria, the real nut cutter. That's from PB's Ghost. That guy right now, as we sit here on end of show Wednesday, he is by far the leader in the clubhouse. For sure. He's always on top of my list. He's always witty. Okay. Jolly Jolly says his couple's counselor is his bartender. That's always an option. <laughs> Not a bad one. Uh, yeah. Okay, Casey, so this is it. This is it. This is it. This is uh, my last day on the shows before I get married. He's not on the show for another two weeks. Yeah. It's a long I'll, time. I'll be, gone, I'll be gone for a while, chat. You're going to get a lot of read and I for the next two weeks. I'll be in the chat from time to time. No, you, you better not be, Casey. What the hell are you talking about, dude? Well, I don't uh, maybe I won't be in the chat. I don't think you're in the chat in the next week. And <laughs> Alexandria, do not let him be in the chat the no, next week and a half. Definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, Casey, from the bottom of my heart, I am very, very happy for you. I'm very excited for you, for both of you and for your families. And uh, God bless you too uh, with a love that lasts a lifetime and for all eternity. Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. You're welcome. Paul, any final, final words from you? Sitting next to the old boy. Uh, I'm just, I'm happy for you, Casey. I'm looking forward to Saturday. Thank I'll you. Keep it at that, because I'll see you then. Thank you, Paul. Yep. All right. Cherry on top or no? Or are we just going to box We're lunch? going to box lunch. Let's go to box lunch. Reed, you have any? Well, you, you'll have time during your show. Yeah. Anything well, you want to oh, yeah. say yeah, to Casey. Pl plug your mic in. Oh. Might help. That better? Yep, that's better. There it is. Okay, yeah, you'll have time. I mean, I, I feel like I say this three days a week. Elliot, by the way, how you doing, man? I'm Elliot. good. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for your co-host maybe to jump in. Yeah, I was. I was waiting for an introduction as well, but no. Nope. When did I? I mean, I just turned on my mic, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting on me about talking. I just, I just had the functionality to talk a second ago. This is, this is the zebra. This is Elliot. El Elliot, welcome to Chatterbox. Thank you, thank you. It's an honor. It's an honor. I'm still learning, you know, the ways of Hamilton. What is a nut cutter? What is that? Ooh, he doesn't know what a nut, Tom. You, you dubbed nut cutter nation. Nut cutter, nut cutting time is where that derives. So you're in nut cutting time. You're Jimmy Butler in game seven. What are you going to do? You delivering the goods, mm -hmm. right? And it can be in the short term. It can be to be on the, the first team. It's got to be the long term. I mean, nut cutting time. Are you delivering the goods from Kurt Schilling, Steph Curry, LeBron is in that category for sure. There are others. Tom Brady. Mm. So when right? it comes for you can have great players, when but they did. But, but like, but like, uh, you know, so many guys, they disappear when it matters. So when Casey's reading his vows, that's he's going to be a nut cutter. Well, no, we're going to find we're out. Gonna, we're okay. going to right. find out how things so, okay. go. It's easy now. <laughs> that's when nut you're cutting engaged, time. It's okay. easy. Yeah. Easiest thing in the world is being engaged. Everything's great. <laughs> I mean, everything's really good. <laughs> Let's see about three, four, five years in. 
Find out how we're looking. My case, 22 years in. Um, all right. Uh, what do you got coming on today, big boy? I gotta defend my attire again, Tom. I mean, you're getting killed. <laughs> They're saying this is a youth extra large. It's not the shirt this time. It's my shorts. Yeah, what do they call those? <laughs> they, Booty shorts. They dubbed Booty my shorts, shorts nut cutters. <laughs> <laughs> They're on me always, Tom. That's what I love. Love to hear it. <laughs> Your buddy Mouse Cop said a child in Indonesia <laughs> did not make that shirt for five cents. Just so Reed could squeeze into a small. <laughs> I love Mouse cop. All right, boys. Um, I am certainly hoping I can come in here tomorrow and Good report luck. that Mary Mott got a win. Because uh, with all the kidding around we do and everything, uh, it is. It, it, and I talked about it a little bit the other day. Uh, when you get in the tournament and your son or daughter is a senior in whatever it is that they do, uh, and you know they've made the decision they're not going to play beyond high school. Uh, um, and he made that decision, and God bless him. Um, you just never know if it's the last time you're going to see him play. So I'm hoping they can find a way to win as an underdog tonight and have at least one more practice tomorrow. That's what we're hoping for. Good luck to the Warriors. Thank you. And we'll Luke. Be we'll be there with bells on. Time now for Box Lunch. Here we go.